nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Let's face it, we're all addicted to something. I mean, I can only speak for myself and I know that I can spend endless hours scrolling through TikTok, YouTube, and of course, Instagram. We're all living in a nation of indulgence and we're all addicted to dopamine. On this episode of The Nurses and Hypochondriacs, my very special guest, Dr. Anna Lemke, She's the Director of Addiction Medicine at Stanford University, and she's also the author of the New York Times best-selling novel, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. This book totally helped me connect so many dots in my life, and I hope this episode does the same for you. It's an episode you won't want to miss. It could be life-changing. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media, 501c3, and The Well-Written Nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. Welcome to Nurses in Hypochondriacs, Dr. Lemke. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be among nurses and hypochondriacs. You know, I'm excited to have you. I love your book, by the way. Oh, thank you. Nation, and that's what we'll be talking a little bit about today, or or a lot about a, a lot about today. Excuse me. So, the most interesting thing about your book is it is very attractive. Um, I think I I pitched you my story of how um, I went to the library. I checked it out. I was checking out multiple books and I was reading it at a taco place here in Cathedral (laughs) City. I live in the desert. So I was reading it at a place called Luchador and this woman left her date to come talk to me about your book. And she was like, can I ask you about your book? And she was trying to learn more about dopamine and about her teenagers. And so we started this really, really interesting discussion. And then I went to go buy a copy of your book just a couple of days ago uh, because I wanted to take notes and be better prepared. And the bookseller or the cashier was like, I'm reading this book. My aunt just told me to read this book. And he started (laughs) quoting your book. Wow. That's pretty, oh. pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. That's exciting. Yeah. So tell us about a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a psychiatrist. Um, I specialize in the treatment of addictive disorders. I'm on the faculty here at Stanford. I see patients, I teach and I do research. And um, sometimes I write books and my latest book is Dopamine Nation. Um, and it's a, it's part memoir uh, part neuroscience and um, part sort of the, my 20 plus years of experience as a psychiatrist treating addiction. I share a lot of patient stories with their permission um, in the hopes of helping other people with compulsive overconsumption, as well as 
presenting a kind of a hypothesis that uh, that the growing mental health crisis in our country and in other countries may be in part due to the overwhelming overabundance that is more than our dopamine system can handle. So that's totally. Um, we're living in crazy times. Yes, I think, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of greed. I, I mean, yeah. um, and in your book, you even called it, let me see, let me get to that page. Because this is what the bookstore guy quoted to me. He's like, yeah, we're living in a nation of not only polypharmacy, but of limbic capitalism. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, mm-hmm. how did we get here? It's just so crazy. Well, I think that one way to think about many of the struggles that we have now is that it's a mismatch between our ancient wiring and our modern ecosystem. We evolved over millions of years of evolution for a world of scarcity and ever-present danger. We reflexively approach pleasure and avoid pain. In a scarce world, anytime you have access to uh, food or uh, partners or comfort of any sort, uh, in order to survive, you would consume as much of that as you possibly could because you never know what tomorrow will bring. But today, uh, through science and innovation and um, our collective efforts, uh, not only have do most of us have our basic uh, survival needs met, but much, much more. In fact, we've drugified almost every aspect of human life. And what I mean by drugified is we've made it more reinforcing, which means that it releases more dopamine in our reward pathway. Dopamine is our pleasure and reward neurotransmitter. We've made it more accessible. Um, you know, our smartphones are, you know, 24-7 digital dopamine devices, Um Digital media lights up that same part of the reward pathway as, as drugs and alcohol. And access is one of the biggest risk factors for addiction. If you have more access to a drug, you're more likely to try it, more likely to use it more often, and more likely to change your brain as a result. TikTok literally never runs out. Um, and that gets to the whole issue of quantity. We have things in more abundance. We have a, a supply chain that gets it to us uh, you know, overnight. And then there's novelty. Dopamine uh, is also the neurotransmitter of novelty or newness. It's what gets us to pay attention to things in our environment that are new or different and potentially important for survival. And what we have is uh, more potent older drugs, but also new drugs that didn't even exist before, like video games, uh, social media, online gambling, online pornography, uh, YouTube, you know, you name it. So that our brains are essentially um, having to absorb a fire hose of dopamine and are compensating by downregulating our own dopamine production and transmission, not just to baseline, but below baseline, which is really akin to a clinical depression. So um, overabundance itself has become a modern stressor. It's what I sometimes refer to as the plenty paradox. That is to say that you would think in this world of plenty, we would all be happy all the time. And yet, in fact, we're uh, more miserable than ever. And I then explain the neuroscience of of how that happens. I totally agree with that. There was something very interesting that happened to me the other day. I went to go see the Barbie movie. Okay. Okay, Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it was okay. So it was 
a flood of dopamine for me, uh-huh. I think because of all the colors. Right. Now. And I immediately started to get very, very emotional. You know, wow. I don't go watch movies in a theater as much. And uh, just because of what goes on with the lighting, because I feel very, very affected by that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and even at the end, the next day, I just didn't feel good. Uh Like I felt very, very off. Mm -hmm. I even had a meeting with my web designer and I started crying. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if it's my perimenopause, you know, I'm 50. I go, (laughs) could be, but I I am just feeling very, very off. And I, and I attribute it to that movie. You know, it's kind of like with um, kids in pediatrics, how mm-hmm. they're always on their devices, right. either the smartphone or iPads. And once the parents try to take it away, they go into this rage, right? you know? So can you kind of explain a little bit about that? Cause that's yeah. also, um, what leads us into addiction too. Right. Right. And I think this is part of kind of a new conceptualization of, uh, drugs, this idea that it's not just drugs and alcohol, like we've learned to think of them, that actually a moving image is a drug. It goes right to the visual cortex, the auditory cortex, which then leads into the dopamine reward pathway, which releases dopamine uh, in our reward circuitry that feels good. But no sooner has that happened, again, that our brain is going to adapt to that abnormal surge in dopamine by downregulating dopamine transmission, not just to baseline, but below baseline. And there's a lot of debate about how quickly this happens, but some neuroscientists hypothesize that it happens almost instantly or immediately, leading to this dopamine deficit state, which is then what has us reaching for more of our drug or more potent forms, even while we're still ingesting uh, the drug. Like it's I think maybe people can mostly relate to the very short medium images, like a TikTok video. Mm-hmm. How, like, once you start watching a TikTok video, like, even as it's finishing, we're already knowing that we're going to reach for the next one. Right. And the reason for that is because we're already in that dopamine deficit state and wanting to get more to bring it up again. Same thing we talk about when when parents take away digital media from their kids and the kids get totally rageful, dysregulated. They're in withdrawal. Right. right. Withdrawal is this dopamine deficit. State. It's profoundly physiologic. So I think it's really important for us to recognize that movies, uh, TikTok images, um, really all of these moving images are re- are really potent drugs and they tend to feel really good um, immediately in the initial phases of consumption, but that over time they actually can make us depressed, anxious, irritable unable to sleep. And so that in the long run, what feels good in the moment is actually destabilizing our overall well-being. And it's really a weird concept because we've just so normalized watching moving images, right? And moving images not only have become, again, if you look at more potent, so we've got like, now you like, 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 um, thriller movies, you know, that used to be a slow warm, like you'd learn the yeah. characters and you'd get the plot and then it would end and climax in a chase scene. Now the opening scene is a chase scene, right? And and that's just, our, that's catering to the our modern mind, right? The need for ever more, more potent escalating images in order to feel anything at all, because we've essentially reset our hedonic pathways. 
Um, and that's true across the board. Video games, you know, people need escalating, more vivid. Um, uh, all the social media is an example of that. Um, you know, pornography. So I'll yes. see patients who will come in you're watching really deviant pornography and almost universally, they started out with sort of vanilla toast pornography, right? But over time it stops working. You get in this de dopamine deficit state. Sometimes we call that tolerance. You need more of your drug in more potent forms. So again, what we've all done is we've, we've basically changed our hedonic set point or our capacity for experiencing pleasure such that now we're in this dopamine deficit state. We need more potent forms. Um, you know, we're kind of reeling uh, in response and we're made less happy. And I think because you probably are a person who's really attuned with her emotions, you were able yeah. to self self observe that this was happening in the moment and to observe it the day after, because you're going to feel the come down. But um, a lot of people don't have that kind of mindful awareness and aren't able to see the connection. And so don't appreciate that. Uh, something as seemingly innocent as watching a movie can actually make you grumpy. Yeah. Um, I'm really hypersensitive because I even noticed this in dating too, because, okay, I had a propensity of dating addicts and I didn't know they were addicts because they would try to hide it or either they were trying to get sober, but somewhere down the line, it just didn't work for them you know? And so when I was dating them, of course, and people can call it narcissism, which I think narcissism is just overused. I don't think people are exhibiting narcissistic behavior, although they have narcissistic traits. Mm -hmm. I think what's really going on is they're, they're addicts to something, you know? Um, and so what would happen, it's like, you get that high, like, oh, we're having fun. We're seeing each other every day. And I was just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, this is a little bit too much for me. Let's just slow it down. But they want to keep it fast, fast, fast. And then they have a tendency to ghost. Uh -huh. After reading your book, I had this massive aha. I was like, wait a minute, this is what's going on. You know, it's not, what is ghosting? Ghosting is, okay, well, they're not getting enough dopamine. <laughs> I, I'm no longer their drug of choice. So mm -hmm. either they're going to go seek someone new mm -hmm. to have a new relationship, right. or maybe they just need to retreat, you mm -hmm. know, and then come back because that's mm -hmm. what they would do. And I was like, what is this behavior really all about? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I started to see this pattern with these men and how they were addicted to something, whether it would be work, porn, uh, substances, right? you know, uh, crazy exes, whatever it was. <laughs> um, so, but then I found myself getting addicted to them, right. which was crazy, yeah. right. you know? Yeah. Um, can you, uh, and then another thing that I'll, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, and comment on this. Another thing I noticed where um, I would get these text messages um, from out of the blue, like from people who I had maybe met online or on an app, they would start texting again, but they would start texting at various times. Like it was mm -hmm. noon. And so I was watching this person, you know, I always think of myself as a scientist. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> and science a researcher. Of life, right. is, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And I, I like was like, that. Yeah. I was like, okay, so this guy, I, I haven't talked to him in a year. He's texting me at noon. I haven't answered his texts. 
he texts me again at four. Is this still your number? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and, and so then I answer, I was like, who is this? And he tells me who it is. And I was like, well, what is it that you want? And he's like, well, I'm single, you're single, you know? And I was just like, okay, I, I don't get it. You know? Mm-hmm. It, and so, so I was like, I'm going to watch this guy. He's like, okay, well, I'll text you later. So I was like, wait a minute. This guy was probably getting his dopamine hits mm-hmm. noon. Mm-hmm. four o'clock right? <laughs> at the end of his day. Cause he's like, okay, I got to finish my work day and I'll text you later. You know, I'll right. talk to you later. I don't hear from him. So I go, if he's truly a dopamine addict, what he's going to do is he's going to text me in the morning. Good morning, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you figure out and I, you know, he had never done this before. Mm-hmm. I get a text message at seven 30 in the morning. Good morning, beautiful. This guy doesn't even know me. He doesn't know what I look like, but he's waking up in the morning. That's the first thing he does is text me. Good morning, beautiful. So Mm -hmm. that's how I knew this has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I could be a bot. Mm-hmm. So can we can we talk about that? Because this is where we're going with AI, kind mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, which is sad. Well, you're raising a really important category of addiction, which is love and sex addiction. So people, I think, are somewhat familiar with sex addiction. You know, whether it in- involves pornography and compulsive masturbation or prostitutes, escorts, hookups. But, um, you know, there's a whole realm of the love piece um, that people can get addicted to, which is much more either about the tumultuous relationship or about the pursuit, the romantic pursuit and the capture of the love object. But none of it is really about being in relationship. It's about doing the behaviors that generate the dopamine uh, that becomes the the goal, really, whether it's done consciously or otherwise. Um, you know, you've described sort of men who have pursued you and who you just kind of had the feeling that it wasn't really about you as a human and and getting to know you and wanting to be in relationship, but it was some kind of conquest that once they reached a sense where they had they had achieved the goal and gotten you know the peak uh peak dopamine then they moved on and and that's of course what happens as we get addicted is that um you know we're looking for bigger and bigger hits um we develop tolerance and we need more excitement we need more partners it needs to be more exciting maybe because it's more forbidden or whatever more outrageous in some way but I think you also identified your response as somewhat potentially addictive as well. And right. sometimes this is referred to um, as codependence in the field of addiction medicine, mm-hmm. how the, the person who's in relationship with the addicted person is themselves addicted and showing addictive patterns. Um, and again, that that can be conscious or not but it ends up facilitating the addiction because that person in a way gets addicted to the addicted person. Um, right. And essentially then they, um, modulate their well-being by using this other person. And and that's essentially what we're talking about right? in love and sex addiction. We're talking about using other people to manage our own state of well-being and our own emotions. And of course, using other people is not something that is ultimately for our or the other person's benefit or mental well-being 
or good for long-term healthy relationships. So how then the, then the task becomes, okay, how do I learn to be in relation with somebody in a way that recognizes my autonomy and their autonomy, yeah. fosters intimacy, and isn't this kind of codependent dance where if they're happy, I'm happy. If they're unhappy, it's my job to make them happy. Right. You know, it's, it's very complicated. But your sort of sixth sense that uh, you have a pattern of getting into relationships with people who are essentially using you for their own auto stimulation right. and regulation, however you want to define that, um, is a really important thing to identify. When I hear that, um, it makes me wonder, you know, and I'm not asking you to, to answer this, I'm just telling you as a psychiatrist, it makes mm. me wonder if you grew up in a household with somebody oh, yeah. who struggled with addiction, right? Because that's yeah. very- and in your book, <laughs> like I said, help me to dive deeper, you know, and go, and I had to self-explore and I had to go, okay, where in my history did this happen? Well, I can go back to like my parents. My mom is very OCD. She's a seamstress. She's addicted to cleaning. She's Italian, right? My dad <laughs> uh, addicted to gambling, you know, and, um, and my father is 89 and I was really watching him on his 89th birthday and, you know, uh, we have this vacation home in Palm Springs, which I have taken over and they hadn't gambled in like six months. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when they gamble and it's, it's kind of a thing here with the older population, um, they just will stay at the casino 24 seven, you know, and it's a thing and it's really, really sad. And I can't do it. I, my, Mm -hmm. I cannot take it. Like I, was trying to do this psychokinetic thing once, you know, I was, I read this book and it was like, I'm going to go try this. You know, I felt sick. It's like, Mm -hmm. I made myself sick. So I, it's just too much for me, but I was watching my parents and, you know, my dad was winning, you know, and Mm -hmm. this goes back to that part in your book. Like he won $3,000 and he won $5,000 and he was ahead like $10,000, but he had this complete and total meltdown. Mm -hmm. Now there was a lot going on. You know, it's like they had just bought a new car. Um, One of their, my dad's best friend had died, you know, so there was a lot. Mm -hmm. He just had like this uh, rage, like my pediatric patients, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, this meltdown Mm -hmm. and it was just like, whoa. While he was gambling? No, it was after it was, it was like, it was when they came home. No, when they were gambling, he was fine. Right. You know? But then I, I had seen this change shift in mood and this right. just like Got complete, it. like meltdown. Even though know? he won, even though he won. Even though he won. Right. And I was yeah, like, amazing. I yeah. was like, let me see. You just got a new car. Mm-hmm. You're 89 and doing very well. Right. You just won all this money. Right. Um, your brief, but all he kept going, and I call it like time travel backwards, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kept going to all the bad stuff, right. you know, and he kept talking about his friend that died. Sure, right. I know that that's that sucks and stuff, mm-hmm. but I was like, but we're here now. And I kept trying to bring him into the present moment. He kept right. trying to go back. Right. Right. And so what had happened, this is very interesting because this is to goes to your book. I hadn't talked to them for a couple of days. And then I was like, oh, so, you know, you won $10,000. Cause I had bought him like a scooter so he could get around and stuff. And I, I was just like, oh, you know, how, how is that doing? And he's like, well, I lost it all. Right. And he was happy. Yeah. 
He lost yeah. all because he went back and gambled it away. Yeah. 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 All the, all the winnings. Yeah. So he and my mother yeah. gambled it away, but they act like teenagers. Like they'll buy They'll just eat all this terrible food for them, <laughs> you know, which is like to each his own They're you know, right. uh, they're enjoying their life. It's like, I, I can't go tell them that, but it was so interesting to me because mm-hmm. I was just like, exactly what you wrote. Yeah. Well, I mean, money, money is really fascinating. Right. And, and, um, you know, people, people think that, that people who get addicted to gambling, um, like are addicted to money, but they're not really addicted to money. They're addicted to the escape that the game provides and the way that that just everything else falls away. You're completely absorbed and, and people who are really addicted to gambling will tell you that they actually, a part of them actually wants to lose to lose, yes. because, because losing then allows them to rationalize or justify continued gambling. Right. right? Whereas if you win, then you got to walk away and then you go into dopamine free fall and you're in withdrawal and you feel terrible. But if you lose and oh no, I have to stay longer, I have to win it back. That's and, what uh, happened. Yeah. Exactly mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, the way that the, that these kinds of addictive behaviors really drive and fuel dysphoria, I think is so powerful. You know, and I talk in the book about my own um, sort of midlife addiction to romance novels and how it started innocently enough with the Twilight Saga, but I got a Kindle and it progressed over time. I was reading like many hours in a day, reading instead of, you know, spending time with my family at one point, even bringing... Uh, romance novels on my Kindle to work and reading in the 10 minutes between patients. And the most impactful aspect of it uh, was that anything that wasn't reading a romance novel just got, it became boring for me, boring, uninteresting. I became more dysphoric, irritable, depressed, impatient. And I did not see the connection between the romance novels and my compulsive reading and my progressive dysphoria and disinterest in other aspects of my life. And it wasn't until I stopped and kind of went through the withdrawal um, and kind of reset my reward pathways that I began to take interest and enjoy other things, but also saw that this kind of compulsive engagement in escapist fantasy fiction was actually making me unhappy. And so that's the key piece. We're always trying to get patients to link cause and effect you know, to make the correct inference about their behaviors. And it's really hard to do because when, when you're in it, whether it's gambling or romance reading or pot smoking or chasing women, um, you know, when you're in it, you don't see it, right? You're just right. consumed by the pursuit. But then when you get some distance and you reset reward pathways, you go, God, that was crazy. Like, I can't believe I did that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I remember I used to work for the Department of Anesthesia at Children's Hospital. And, you know, I would come home from a crazy day and all I would want to do was watch reality TV shows. Right. Yeah. I'm the same way. It was my mental anesthesia Mm -hmm. and it was a way for me to disconnect. Right. And just, you know, hone in. I also want to bring up one thing which I never knew was an addiction, which I think contributed to my, um, issue with men was when I was married to my ex-husband. Now I was very young. I was like 26 and I had dated him from 18 to about 26. 
And, um, and he, he was a couple of years older than me. He had this hyper addiction to sports. Mm, like yes. Everything mm-hmm. was sports. And on the weekends, right. he literally watched sports for 12 hours, Right. you know, and, um, his closet, like he started buying all this sports paraphernalia right. and he started, it just was out of control, you know, and to where he he was listening to sports on the radio in the car at the time. And and, and that's what his life was consumed with that. We'd even go to like a baseball game and he'd start to take stats and Mm -hmm. I would talk to other people and he he would be like, don't talk to other people. (laughs) You're supposed to be watching the game. Yeah, I go, but for me, it's about the social interaction. Right. Uh, in, in that, you know, but it it was so interesting. I never knew that that was an addiction. And again, with reading your book, I was like, oh my gosh, well, Mm -hmm. there it was, you know? Yeah. So that's such a great example to talk about like, well, what is the difference between a passion or a hobby or, you know, an intense recreation and addiction, right? It's like, I mean, how do you differentiate those two? And it's not always easy to make that differentiation. The way that we do it in clinical care is whether or not it's harmful for self or others. So addiction is the continued compulsive use of a substance or behavior despite harm to self and or others. But of course, that harm might be subtle harm. And the person who's engaging in that behavior might disagree that it's harmful, right? They might say, well, that's, well, you might say that that was harmful because all of his time and energy was taken up viewing sports, getting sports paraphernalia, focusing on sports statistics. But for him, he might say it wasn't harmful at all. That's my passion. That's my hobby. That's what I love. So it can be kind of, this is a tricky thing. Um, But, you know, I do think that it's important to acknowledge that something like sports including potency, access, quantity, novelty, has become drugified. And now you add to that online sports betting and you've got, you you know, the gamblification of sports with easy access on your phone. Um, And you're, we definitely see severe addictions in this category. I mean, most folks, you know, who are passionate about sports probably wouldn't meet clinical criteria for an addiction, like it's not so harmful to self and others, but still, is it a mini addiction? Is it a soft addiction? Is it something that maybe they should really reevaluate? Will they on their deathbed look back and say, I wish I had watched, uh, you know, a little less sports on TV and spent more time with my wife, (laughs) you know, probably, um, you know, so, so those are, but, but boy, again, just like the drugification of good things like sports, like sports are great. You know, yeah. the, the simulacrum of, of life and you've got the drama and the passion and the, the hard work and the competition. But now we as a society have managed to take sports and make it so accessible, so potent, mm-hmm. so drugified that we've turned it into a drug, Yep. you know? And, and I mean, it used to be, there was like a natural stopping point for all of these things. Like you had you know, I don't know, was it football on Sundays? I'm not a football right. fan. So, but you know, you had like a game on, but now there's a game freaking every hour of the day, yeah. every day. So it's really, really hard. Um, you know, I myself like love to watch track and field videos on YouTube. And so, you know, you said you go home and watch reality TV. Like I, I'll be like, well, I'm just going to watch a YouTube video while I'm brushing my teeth. Cause I hate brushing my teeth, 
but you know, one will turn into 20 and two hours later, I'm, I'm still watching diamond league. You know, it's like, I, I don't need to be watching this anymore, but it's really tough. Yeah, it's really tough. So again, your book, where can people get a hold of you? Where can people get your book? I highly recommend it. And anything you'd like to add, I oh, think well, everybody should you. be reading your book, especially, oh, you know, if you're going to nursing school, if you're getting um, a higher degree, like uh, a doctorate, master's doctorate, uh, whatever, or anyone, even if you have children, you know, mm. even if you feel addicted yourself, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, highly recommend dopamine nation. Well, thank you for that lovely endorsement. Um, so the book is available wherever books are sold. It's also available on audible. Um, if you're not a reader, but a listener, um, and yeah, that's the, that's the place to get it. Um, yeah, I'm not on social media because I wouldn't be able to handle it. Oh my God. So I just, I just like, uh, you know, at the get go just said, Nope, can't go there. So, uh, but the book is a good way to learn about me too, since I talk about my own struggles in the book. Awesome. And uh, what's in the future for you? Are is there any are there any projects you're working on? Any books that you're writing right now? Well, you know, I'm 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 cogitating on it. We'll we'll see. Right now, I'm still so busy with Dopamine Nation. It's been translated into thirty some languages. So awesome. now I'm getting a lot of um, sort of doing a lot of talks in Asia and Europe and stuff like that, which is exciting. It's so great yeah. that um, people in South America, I'm going to Brazil in November. So um, just still super busy with Dopamine Nation. Uh, we're super grateful at the at the reaction. Yeah, I think you're going to be busy for a long, long time. <laughs> great. So we'll see. Yeah. excellent. Thank you so much for being. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. Right. Thank you for your, uh, your vulnerability. That was great. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses in Hypocon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. <laughs>